Welcome, everybody, back to the Rooted and Edified show. We are so glad that you're joining us today. You are joining us for a special episode, Bible One-on-One. I'm your host, Kat Elias, and we have your co-host, Manny Elias, my husband. Amen. (laughs) But today, he's our guest. So he's a co-host of our show, but today he is a special honored guest that we are so happy to be with us today. He has a lot of wisdom to impart, and I hope that you stick with us for the whole episode because it is going to be a good one. Before we introduce our special guest more, I want to tell you a little bit more about this podcast. This show, The Root and Edified Show, is a fun-loving, no-facade, conservative Christian worldview show that's Bible-believing for both men and women, where we showcase the four T's, testimonies, topics, talents, and theology. And today we have a special theological topic, Bible one-on-one, and we are just so happy that you are with us today. As a reminder, we put out both a video podcast and an audio one. So whichever is your preference, it's available to you. And we're on most of the podcast platforms and on YouTube, so you can find us easily. We come out every Tuesday, every week. If you're excited and you want to dive in deeper to what we're doing, and maybe you want to be a part of this or you want to help support us, feel free to go to our website, which is www.beautifullyrooted.com forward slash podcast. And that is spelled B-E-Y-O-U. So let's jump in and introduce this amazing man, my husband, Manny Elias. Happy dance for you. Amen. Manny Elias is my husband. We have a blended family with six kids, and you heard us right, between four and 20. And he is a child of God amazing man of God who was saved in the 90s right after the LA riots. He is Beautifully Rooted CFO, and he's our chief biblical consultant, which is why he is here today to share all of his biblical knowledge. He leads a group online that we have with Beautifully Rooted called MVP, which is Manny's Versed Perspective. That is a group that you can join. Feel free to find it on Facebook, where you can ask theological questions, you can ask biblical questions, and Manny will get back to you with those answers, the answers that he can give you. Manny is a co-host, as we said, for this show, The Rude and Edified Show, and he also preaches from time to time, and he is a speaker that we've benefited from multiple times, and I get to benefit from all the time. He's also quite the expert at real estate, loans, and in trading. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about yourself? Absolutely. One of the things that the Lord has definitely brought to my mind a lot recently is the theme of delving into whatever it is that you want to do in life. Whether you're a carpenter, whether you're a mechanic, a teacher, a social worker, or you have a yeah. podcast, we do it all as unto the Lord. One of the things that, that I think I've always been pursuing in my life is mastering whatever I do. And it's amazing how recently the Lord through the Holy Spirit has spoken to me, where I would often say, I want to be a master student of the Bible, a master teacher of the Bible. I want to be a master loan officer, which is what I I like to do that as well. But the Lord has a way of helping me to rephrase certain things in my life that I can use as a guideline for my life. And one of those things has recently been that particular phrase that I want to master something. I give all glory to God because like in my business, in my lending business, I get a, a lot of people coming to me to restructure their loans. And a lot of people even from other banks and stuff. And I don't want to go too much into that. The point is that a lot of people appreciate the knowledge that I have in it and how I'm able to see things sometimes from outside the box, from a different perspective. But I owe it all that to how I got started in Scripture. Because as you're aware, you know, and as I shared in my testimony last time here as well, when the Lord delivered me, when the Lord saved me, my mind was completely gone. My mind was lost. I couldn't even finish a sentence. I had a terrible vocabulary. And once the Lord saved me, he literally completely transformed my mind. 
I began to delve into scripture and then I started delving into real estate and loans. And now that I'm into trading and crypto trading, I'm delving into that as well. One of the things that the Lord has done is he's changed that phrase for me. He's rearranged the words where he's like, don't become a master of this or a master of that. Rather, be the master's disciple. Rather, be the master's loan officer and be the master's trader. Meaning in everything and in everything that we do, we do it for him. And for sure, that's been the new pursuit in my life. One thing I think we should mention that you highlighted that I, I forgot to mention is that Manny's testimony, which is an amazing, an amazing testimony that points to the power of God. Amen. Praise and God. To God's glory. It is available to you. You can listen. It is our first episode that we came out with. Praise God. And it is from darkness to light testimony of Manny Elias. So after this, I want you to go over to our podcast platforms and to our episodes and go get episode number one. Now let's jump in to some of these questions. We are just so thirsty and dying to hear what you have to tell us about the Bible. So many of us know in our spirit that we need to be reading the Bible. First, can you tell us how has the Bible changed your life personally? The verse that definitely comes to mind is Romans 12.2, where the Apostle Paul starts off by begging us to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, and then exhorts us to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our mind. I think that I have to definitely give glory to God and start off with this as my foundation. The way the Bible has changed my life is that it has transformed my life completely. And I think the basis of all of our lives starts with our mind, starts with the way we think, whether it's our attitude, our personality, our character, the decisions we make in life. It all starts up here in our mind, in our thought life. I think that's where we spend most of the time. My mind was in a state where I felt that I had no other choice but to give my life to Christ. So when I think of scripture, to me, it's the underlying foundation of all of my life. Because without the word of God, I would have never been transformed. The renewal of the mind is an, such an important aspect of our conversion that many a times you have believers who give their life to Christ and are all emotionally in for Christ, but don't know the Word of God. And the Word of God, because of that, has not transformed their mind. So their thought life is still sometimes like it used to be. And the patterns that they entertain, the thoughts that they entertain, become patterns in their lifestyle. And yes, do I still deal with some of that residue? Absolutely. And we're commanded to deal with that on a daily basis. But I have to say that the foundation has been laid. And I thank God for that, because that foundation is the Word of God. Amen. Thank you. Speaking of the Word of God, can you help us understand, first of all, what is the Bible? If someone was brand new to opening up the Word, what would you tell them so that they could have a little bit more understanding of what they're about to read? When you think of the word Bible, the word Bible in and of itself is not found in Scripture. It's just a word that means a collection of many books. That's what a Bible is. I think oftentimes when we hear the word Bible, it almost has such a mystical connotation, you know, for some people, like cryptic. A lot of people associate it with something cryptic, something difficult to understand, like what is it? While it is definitely written by humans, it's written by men. But one of the most important things to know about this particular book, this particular collection of 66 books, is that... It is written by men, but it's divine in origin, meaning the ideas for it, the, the principles in it, the commandments in it do not originate with man. It originates with God. When you think of the Bible, think of it as 
just the way human beings communicate. We communicate via words. That's how the majority of us Kylie's communicate. We express a lot through those words, whether it's our joy, our anger, our frustration, we express it with words. So to me, it's expected that if there is a God, and obviously we do believe there is, there is this supreme being, creator of the universe, that he would also communicate in the same manner, via words. That's how he created us in his image. The Bible is a collection of 66 books written by men who were inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these things. And sometimes it was a direct, direct command to write those things. Other times it was a move in their heart, the, whole, the Holy Spirit moving them to write these things. But in many occasions, the Lord would literally show the prophets, write this or tell the prophets, write this, as if they were a scribe for him. And that leads to the Bible being called, not just the Bible, we call it Holy Scripture, because it's a writing, it's a communication, it's a letter, right, from God to us. But unlike our standard letters, this is holy. It's completely separate from every other type of book you'll ever read. And you could read the Odyssey, Homer's Iliad. You could read a whole bunch of other books that you like, the Harry Potter series. A lot of people like to read these books because those books are very engaging. You really get into them and they take a hold of your imagination. But unlike Harry Potter, unlike a classic of antiquity, unlike any other book, no book can transform you the way the Bible can. And because it's divine in origin, it reveals things not just about humanity in general, but about you about yourself. It begins to open you up. As you open the Bible, you open yourself up. That's a great point. Can you tell us what the books comprise of in the Old Testament versus the New Testament? When the Old Testament starts with the books of the law, the five books of Moses, and there's formal names for these books too, like the Pentateuch. Like if you, for example, if Jews call it the Torah or the Tanakh, the other writings are the writings of the prophets. And then you also have what are called historical books, books of wisdom, like the books of Kings, for example, Chronicles, Judges, Samuel, etc., etc. You have the prophets. And then you also have a lot of poetic books. And it is important definitely to be able to distinguish between the different genres in the Bible, the different literary styles of the Bible, for example. So, for example, when somebody wants to learn something about doctrine. And maybe define what doctrine yes, means because not everybody might know. Absolutely. Doctrine technically is just a teaching regarding, in this particular case, the teachings of Christ. Because when the Gospels were written, the Gospels, for example, that's another genre, right? It's a historical narrative. It's a biography of the life of Jesus Christ. So when you read the Gospels, a lot of people try to build their doctrine on the Gospels, but you can learn from the Gospels, absolutely from Jesus' teachings. You can learn from that, but you don't establish, for example, doctrines in the Gospel. What you do is you start with the Gospel, and then you go to those who Jesus commanded to teach us about all of his teachings. And who did Jesus command to teach us about his teachings? The Apostles. When you get to what is called the epistles, those are doctrinal epistles, meaning they're letters that were written to clarify teachings. Because, for example, somebody would take a teaching from Jesus in the Gospels and say, well, Jesus teaches this, and as Gentiles, you still have to keep the Sabbath. And that actually became an argument that they had in the first council in the church, right, in Jerusalem council. Peter himself didn't really want to go to a Gentile's house because he thought that's against the law of Moses. Jesus revealed to him, nope. The Gentiles are also cleansed by me. Do not call unclean what I have cleansed. So Paul then later elaborates a lot more on all of this. And Paul gets to the point in his letters 
where he begins to talk to us and teach us about everything that Jesus taught them. And if you remember in Matthew 28, 19, after Jesus rose from the dead and before his ascension, he manifested himself to the apostles and said, Behold, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore, based on this, go and make disciples of all the nations. And you're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And you're going to teach them everything to keep everything that I have commanded you. So that's where you go to really learn doctrine, to the doctrinal epistles, which are technically from Romans all the way to Jude. You have another genre as well, which is like, for example, eschatology. Eschatology is a composed word that means the study of future events. When you want to study future events as well, you know, where do people go to? People go to eschatological books, like, for example, Daniel that deals with the future and the most popular book of all eschatology, which is the book of Revelation. So knowing the purpose of the books and of the genres and literary style it's very important. helps you to know what to get out correct, of it correct. and what to focus on. Yes. So you went over the Old Testament of what it comprises of and of the New Testament. In summary, it was the Gospels. There are also those genres, correct. The, the Gospels, gospels which, which are a biography on the life of Jesus Christ. It's not an autobiography, even though technically Jesus inspired them to write it. <laughs> when you want to read and elaborate on what Jesus taught, even in the Gospels, you learn that in the New Testament epistles. Which would be the books following. Absolutely. Thank you. We have heard very often, a lot of us, that the Bible is called a living word. Why is that? Why is a book called mm. a living word? Well, for example, if you take a classic, any classic of antiquity, or if you're into philosophy and, or any other historical book, whether it's Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol, well, Charles Dickens is dead, and you read his books, and even if it seems like you could really imagine those characters, or you could read a, a biography of someone from the past, and you could really imagine it like if you were there. However, in all those books, those authors are dead. No matter how much you talk about them, those authors are dead, and those books cannot transform your life. They can entertain you for a while, but they won't transform you, like transmutate, like literally take something in you and completely change it. Only God can do that. So when we read the Bible, Isaiah is dead. Moses is dead. Peter and Paul are dead. But the author from whom those words originated is alive. So his word, even though it was penned by them, but it's his word, he's alive always. He's an eternal being. And as the Theanthropos, the God-man who rose from the dead in that body, Jesus now lives forever in that body. Therefore, his word is alive because he's not dead. So when you read the Bible, you realize that it's a living being that's speaking to you through those pages. I'll give you an example. A lot of people love to quote Ephesians 6, 17. Kat, do you think you know that passage from memory? From memory? Yeah. I'm going to say, and take the helmet of salvation <laughs> yeah. and the sword of the spirit. The sword of the spirit. It seems like such a, an offensive weapon, the sword of the spirit. And Paul is using that in the context of the armor of God, where we battle not against flesh and blood, but against the powers in the air, the principalities. And Satan is often referred to as the prince of the power of the air. And all these principalities, they're invisible. So you can't use a physical sword. You have to take a spiritual sword. And that sword is the word of God. And that sense, you use it to combat the enemy. But we can't quote Ephesians 6, 17 without thinking of Hebrews 4.12. And Hebrews 4.12 uses it in a different manner. It says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And I think one of the most important things about 
thinking of the Bible as the living word of God is that it's like a double-edged sword, meaning the more I read it, guess what it begins to do? It cuts me. It cuts me open. The author of Hebrews tells us that in that same manner, like the high priest in the Old Testament who would take a lamb and who would take, and you're reading the book of Leviticus right now, and, and it Finish describes it in detail right? how they would divide the parts, how they'd have to remove certain parts of the animal and sacrifice it. The way the Holy Spirit transforms us is like the high priest. And Jesus uses, he is the word of God, not just use, Jesus is the living word of God himself. This is the person of Christ. When you read the Bible, he begins to cut us. He pierces us. And it hurts sometimes. He removes those things which do not please him. Those things that cannot be offered at the altar. As a living word, not only is it an amazing tool to use in, when defending yourself from the enemy and attacking the enemy, but against your greatest enemy, which is yourself, which is your own flesh. And it says, you know what? I see this resentment here. I see this hatred. I see this lust. It begins to cut at that lust and cut at that resentment and cut at that hatred, cut at that bitterness. And it begins to remove it from your life. So it's definitely an integral part of a healthy Christian growth process. In order to really grow in Christ, you need to delve into the Word of God. That leads us into our next question, which I think you covered pretty well. If there are any other things that you can think of, any other reasons for someone to pick up the Bible and read it, why should somebody take the time out of their busy schedule, out of their many duties, out of their lives, and read the Bible? So there is a passage in Scripture that definitely comes to mind with regards to why should we read the Bible. And the first and foremost it's because God commanded us to. If that's not reason enough, amen. it's amazing, it's beautiful, it's so poetic, it's nourishing to your soul. It's also extremely engaging and entertaining to read. Here's the passage that I think a lot of times we quote, Joshua 1.9, where the Lord tells Joshua, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And we love that passage. But what people don't think about is the scripture prior to that one, where it says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then will you have good success. That's a really good point. You are absolutely right. People do not think about the scripture beforehand. And in that context, God promises to always be with you. He promises that he will give you courage. And we love these passages, like I can do all things through Christ. We love those types of passages, almost like if they were affirmations. But then we forget the exhortation, which is, hey, it's true I'm going to be with you, but you better read my book of the law every day and every night so that you remember to do everything according to all that is written in it. Because oftentimes, it's not that grace is cheap. Absolutely not. Grace is amazing grace. And it came at the cost of the greatest sacrifice in history, the sacrifice of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. But sometimes I do think, unfortunately, we mitigate the efficacy and the power of the transforming power of the gospel by not obeying God in meditating on his word day and night, on making sure that we keep his commandments. We love to say that Christ is love. We love that, and absolutely he is. But we don't like the part, or we forget the part where it says, if you love me, you will 
Keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. Well, maybe we like the part that Jesus does, but we don't like the part that we're responsible for. Absolutely. Now, the New Testament. Now, I know you love the Old Testament. God bless you. I love both. God bless you. (laughs) But for many of us, the New Testament just seems so much easier to read. It seems like it's written in our language. Can we just stick in the New Testament? Is the Old Testament even relevant to us today? Absolutely it is. It behooves us to remember that when the apostles taught about the Word of God, when Jesus himself quoted Scripture and said, this is what the Scripture says, according to Scripture, that's all from the Old Testament. I think there has been somewhat of a dilemma in Christianity and in in a lot of evangelicals sometimes with regards to separating the New Testament from the Old. And we forget that Jesus Christ is also in the Old Testament. He is also the author of the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. When you think of everything that you love about Jesus, you'll be amazed when you begin to read the Old Testament and see how much foreshadowing of Christ you see in the Old Testament. It all points to Jesus. And when you begin to read the Old Testament, and it won't happen on your first turn of the Old Testament, on your first ride through the Old Testament. It's not. It's going to probably happen, start happening like the second, third time that you go through the Old Testament. We're called to be people of the Word. We have to remember that the one that we claim to follow and to love and be disciples of, the Lord Jesus himself, is the Word of God in the flesh. I know through reading, finally getting through the Old Testament, after starting multiple times and stopping after I got to a certain point, and sticking with the New Testament, once I was able to go back and read through the Old Testament, I realized there was a humongous piece that I had missed or I had glossed over Mm. in the New Testament because it didn't seem as pronounced or didn't give as much importance to it, which was judgment and the significance of sin. In the New Testament, it seems like we profess so much love, which is absolutely true, but you really need that Old Testament understanding as well of uh, this is the same God of the Absolutely. Old Testament and the New Testament who does judge. And I found that after I finished the whole thing, both the Old Testament and New Testament, my understanding was much more balanced. Where When I stuck in the New Testament, I thought I knew what the Word of God said, and but I didn't. After reading through the Old Testament and rereading, especially the book of Revelation, because the, the book in the Bible that is probably the most Old Testament book of the New Testament. Many people would normally probably think the book of Hebrews. Um, because where, it has an Old Testament type of name. Absolutely, the book of Hebrews, yeah. <laughs> You're like, where's but, that? And, and it is with regards to a lot of the symbolism, but also is the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation contains more allusions and references to the Old Testament than any other book in the New Testament. One of the things that we miss is that the Old Testament is full of so much imagery that can only be understood if you familiarize yourself or if you are already familiar with the Old Testament. So many allusions to the Old Testament. When you're reading the the New Testament, one of the things that you realize, my love, after reading the Old Testament is that it's the same God when you read the book of Revelation. When you read that Jesus says in the book of Revelation, he's not introducing himself as the Lamb. He introduces himself as the Alpha and the Omega. And then it's a beautiful title that he gives himself there where he tells John. And John says, and he said to me, and I am the ruler of the kings of the earth. That's a great point because I think once we get to Revelation, we feel like it's a book that is out of nowhere. Correct. It's completely Absolutely. different. Yes, completely. And it yeah. seems like when they're talking about Jesus, it's a different Jesus. Now, if somebody says, okay, I'm going to jump in 
and I am ready to read the Bible. Do you think there's a better way to read the Bible? I personally always go back to the old-fashioned way, reading it cover to cover, um, just the way you would read any other book. Would you start with Genesis? And go I would actually start with Revelation? one book, alternating between the old and the new. For somebody that is a recent convert, you need to be introduced to Jesus. So for sure, start with the gospel. After you read one of the gospels, you want to go back to the Old Testament, and you want to start with the book of Genesis. There's just something about familiarizing yourself with a lot of the stories of the Old Testament, and obviously starting with the story of creation, because it sets the foundation for who this God is that you are now following, that you are believing in. For me, it was easier for me to get through the New Testament and then understand the Old Testament better because I read through New Testament. So that was something that was helpful. And I think as long as you read it, if you want to get through the whole New Testament first, definitely go for it. For me, at least the way I did it, I just did alternate it. I did one in the New Testament, one in the Old Testament. So now if we're thinking about, we're definitely going to read the Bible. Now we're looking at what version of the Bible to use. There seems to be so many that are out there. What do you prefer and why? Whether it's ESV, KJV, right? The King James Version or the New King James Version or the American Standard Bible, um, the majority are based on the, a lot of the original manuscripts. That's the most important thing, that if you see that that Bible is based on the original manuscripts, whether it's that version or another version, I think, obviously, I don't speak in King James English anymore, you know? I, even though I started reading the King James Version, and in, and in um, Spanish, I would read Reina Valera, and I'm like, nobody's ever spoken Spanish to me like that, you know, even my mom or my grandma, nobody. But I still learn from it. Had I been given the option back then to read the ESV, I would have probably preferred the ESV. Which stands for? English Standard Version. It's not too simple to where you feel like you lose the context in the translation, but it's not too hard. Would you recommend somebody using a Bible study guide? Absolutely. What's a good route for people to take when they don't understand a passage? First, I definitely need to clarify and state that it could never replace scripture. Even the best commentary, even the best devotional. Right now, devotionals are really popular, and a lot of people love to get into devotionals. I would never say steer away from devotionals, never, ever. But I would say don't let them replace the Bible, even a commentary about the Bible. I personally prefer to just read the Bible. One of the most important things is this, that the Word of God speaks to you, and you might find a glimpse of it in a devotional, but there is nothing like you opening the Bible and Jesus speaking to you through the Word of God beautiful. It's powerful. When, like I said, like a sword, it begins to pierce you. It begins to cut through you. And sometimes through human interpretation, through other interpretation or human guides, it filters it. So you don't get that full experience. So you definitely wouldn't use a study guide by itself or devotional by itself. But when somebody is, especially when they're first yes, absolutely. learning about the absolutely. Bible. It's a great utility. It's a great tool. You would utilize it in combination, yes, right? Absolutely. Reading the Bible. Absolutely. And, and I tell friends who, who read devotionals and who really like devotionals, I'm like, I would never tell you do not read a devotional. But I would tell you still set time aside for strictly just reading the Bible. You got to remember, I don't know how many devotionals Paul had or read, but... Well, he was the commentary. <laughs> he was, he the, was commentary. the commentary That's for right. everybody, right? That's right, he was. The last question that comes up, I don't know if it can be done briefly. This might need to be its own episode, but how can we know the Bible is true? How do you test that? There's a beautiful acronym that actually one of my favorite Bible teachers came up with, Hank Hanegraaff. He still ha leads the Bible Answer Man. That, By the way, that's a great resource, the Bible Answer Man. There is an acronym that he came up with called MAPS, where the M stands for manuscript, manuscript evidence, meaning there is no other book that we know of ever written 
In history, since the inception of writing itself, there is no other book that has the manuscript evidence that the New Testament has. Even when you think of certain heroes of antiquity, like Julius Caesar, for example, Alexander the Great, Cleopatra, all these people, do you know that the amount of manuscripts that we have bearing testimony to their existence and their feats and all that stuff are minimal compared to what we have for the New Testament. I believe that for the New Testament, we have a total of around maybe approximately 25,000 to 26,000 manuscripts in various languages that testify and give witness to the New Testament. So you have manuscript evidence. So obviously, if God really did write this book and he is the author of this book, it's going to outweigh all the other manuscript evidence we've ever seen or we've ever had. And manuscript just literally means manuscrita, like written by hand versus, you know, the printed one. This is the original manuscripts, the original writings, some of them dating back to as far as AD 30-something, for example. That's one. The second one is the A in MAPS stands for archaeology. Archaeology is one of the best friends of theology because for a long time, a lot of skeptics doubted a lot of stuff in the Bible. Archaeology is a fairly new science. I believe it started in 1870-something, I think it was. Well, anyhow, when it did... It began to uncover and to buttress, to support a lot of the claims in the Bible. And that's why skeptics like even C.S. Lewis initially, and you had other people like the author of The Case for Christ, Lee Strobel, Josh McDowell. A lot of these people were setting out to disprove Christianity and to debunk it. And in their research, they came across so much evidence that it compelled them to accept Christianity and to accept Christ. There's a lot of people that have done this in the past. You wouldn't be the first to question it. And as long as that questioning is sincere and honest, you'll find an answer. And that's archaeological evidence. The P stands for prophetic evidence. There is no way that any one human being could have fulfilled all the prophecies regarding the Messiah from the Old Testament. No way. I think someone once did a math equation on it and um, representing the likelihood of anybody actually fulfilling this. And it'd be like along the lines of having a whole bunch of quarters spread through the entire country of Texas and only one of them marked with the number 25 and you finding that quarter. That's how difficult it would be for any one person in history to fulfill everything that Jesus fulfilled about prophecy when he was on the earth for those 33 and a half years or 33 years. So there's prophetic evidence. And one of the greatest prophecies that vindicates Jesus as the Messiah for us as believers was the resurrection from the dead, right? He only appeared to believers. He didn't appear to Caiaphas, the high priest, even though he had told Caiaphas, you will see me coming in the clouds at the right hand of God, referring to the, the prophecy of the Son of Man receiving authority to judge in the book of Daniel. And the high priest knew what Jesus was referring to when he said coming in the clouds. It was a statement that represented judgment. So there was a prophecy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. And that prophecy is with regards to Jerusalem being destroyed and the temple being destroyed. That prophecy was fulfilled in AD 70. To this day, anybody could research any historical book about that particular prophecy. And in my opinion, it's unfortunate that it's not taught enough from the pulpit. Not too many Christians know this, that the greatest prophecy to vindicate Jesus as the Messiah to the Israel and the world, especially to Israel, is the prophecy of AD 70, of the destruction of the temple, which did take place exactly before the end of that generation when Jesus prophesied that. And for a long time, a lot of the Jews said that Jesus was a false prophet because that prophecy was not fulfilled. And because remember in the Old Testament, 
you could prophesy and be accurate, but if you missed one, you were a false prophet. They mocked Jesus until the Romans destroyed Jerusalem. And now when we look back, one of the things we can't forget is a lot of those prophecies were fulfilled in Christ and were fulfilled in the destruction of Jerusalem. So as Christians, we have a lot of evidence that testifies and bears witness to the authenticity of those words that Jesus uttered in Matthew 24. Wow, that could really be an episode in itself. Absolutely. I think so. Absolutely, yes. So the S... It stands for statistical evidence. Same thing as in a lot of the prophecies, that it's statistically impossible for any one person to fulfill those prophecies. And how different men who wrote the Bible in various locations, in, and sometimes even in different languages, were able to somehow synchronize and have perfect harmony in what is said in the Bible. And even though there are some apparent contradictive texts in the Bible, it's called apparent. Because really, really, in its overall theme, the Bible is fluid. The Bible carries the same theme from the Old Testament to the New Testament, that we're sinners and we need redemption. In the Old Testament, it was through a lot of sacrifices of animals. In the New Testament, is through the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. Everything that was done and, and orchestrated was not orchestrated necessarily by men, but by God to make sure that we could have what we have now as the Bible. And so that statistical evidence is also there to show us that it wasn't something that was created by all these men that suddenly got together and said, let's just make the Bible. Thank you for that. That was amazing. I think all of us are super encouraged to jump in, read the Bible, continue reading the Bible. We certainly understand now why it is so important, and we really thank you for that. If we jump into our scripture section now, you've already brought up many scriptures, but are there particular scriptures that you would like to go over one more time that can really solidify what we've been talking about today? Absolutely. Several of them. The first one is with regards to all scripture and why it's important to read all scripture. Second Timothy 3, 16 through 17 set reads, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. But we need all scripture. And when Paul was quoting scripture here, he's referring to the Old Testament. So for sure, we need to read both the New and the Old Testament. And he also tells Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. If you don't really read the Bible a lot and you begin to talk to people about Jesus and you say you want to be a disciple of Christ, it's like anything else that you do. Could you be a great social worker if you never met anyone and if you never studied the, the, the material required to be a social worker? No. You couldn't. I couldn't do loans if I didn't read up on guidelines continually for Fannie, Freddie Mac and all that stuff. I wouldn't. I dedicate a lot of time as well to even technical analysis when I read charts for trading. I could not be a good disciple without reading the Bible. It's almost impossible. And also, like I said, you miss out on a whole lot of God transforming your life through the Bible. And then the other passage that I definitely want to share with you guys is actually a recurring theme for me. There's a passage in Luke when there's two disciples. They were leaving Jerusalem after Jesus died. And even though the women had already said that Jesus rose from the dead, they left Jerusalem. They were leaving the scene. They were skipping town. And on their way out of town, they were going towards another town called Emmaus. So on their way there, Jesus meets them. As he meets them, he confronts them. He hears them talking. And then he confronts them and says, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they're like, are you the only person in all of Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on? So ultimately, this is what it says. And this is in Luke chapter 24, verse 25 to 27. And it says, and he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So how did Jesus manifest himself to these people, to these two brothers, these two disciples? He literally manifested himself, but they still didn't recognize him. But then he began to open the scriptures to them to the point where in Luke 24, 32, after he broke bread with them and he, they recognized him, the scripture says he disappeared. He literally teleported, teleported to somewhere else. And it says, they said to each other, this is in verse 32, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? What was he doing talking to them on the road? He was showing them from the Old Testament, from Moses through the prophets. And then it says this, while he opened to us the scriptures. I love that phrase, opening the scriptures. They finish what they're doing and they go back to Jerusalem. They walk all the way back. They're like, why couldn't the Lord teleport us to, you know, but they walked all the way back. You guys got to walk because you doubt it. They walked all the way back to Jerusalem. When they're in Jerusalem, they're sharing with the apostles what they experienced. Now they're hearing the testimony of the women and they're like, hey, we believe you now because we saw him too. Then the Lord Jesus appears to them again. And then he said to them, this is in Luke 24, verse 44 and 45. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets, and listen to what Jesus says, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And verse 45 says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. As you open the scriptures, Jesus opens your mind to understand the scriptures. And he manifests himself to you through the scripture because they are the ones that give testimony of him. So yes, if you're sincere about your desire to read the word of God and to learn more about the Bible, ask the Lord. Be sincere. Say, Lord, you know, sometimes it's difficult for me. Keep me awake. You know, if that's what it is or I can't understand this, whatever it is. And the Lord promises that he will manifest himself to you. Sometimes he'll catch you on your way out of Jerusalem. He's going to catch you on your way away from Bible study. He's going to catch you somewhere. He's going to say, hey, read the Bible. He's inviting you to get to know him better in scripture. It was one thing for the Samaritan woman in the story of the woman in the well to give testimony of Jesus when she went back to Samaria and she gave testimony of this man who revealed everything to her. The word of God opened her up and revealed everything to her. Jesus opens us up the same exact way. He is the word of God. So as you get into the Bible, you get into Christ and Christ gets into you. He opens you up. This is the most beautiful part about it though. He transformed that woman at the well. Whatever sin was captivating her, whatever sin was enslaving her, boom, those chains were broken. As Christ, the word of God, manifested himself to her to the point where she goes into all the town. She tells everybody in town. And then guess what happens? That town comes out to see Jesus and they end up staying in Samaria for two days. And now the people in the town tell her, now we believe, not just because of the testimony you gave us, but now we heard it ourselves. That's the thing. It's beautiful to hear a sermon on Sunday. It's beautiful and definitely do that. It's beautiful to read a devotional and to hear a sermon on the radio. But the greatest experience you'll ever have is when Jesus himself manifests himself to you as you in your personal devotion, in your secret chamber, your upper room with the door closed behind you, you begin to delve into the Bible and seek him. And it's beautiful. I think the greatest revelations of Jesus' deity 
of certain strong theological subjects, topics, were manifested and revealed to me as I read the Bible in my own devotional time alone. When I read the Bible that way, sometimes I would cry reading scripture. And I still do when I open up the Bible. I love to read it. And I love to, sometimes you and I read together too, and we read with the kids, but both are important. We must study the Bible collectively. One leads to the other and vice versa. Meaning if you can only read by yourself alone and you can't engage with others in reading the Bible, there's an imbalance. And vice versa, if you can only read the Bible in church and you somehow can't pick it up and read it on your own, alone, there's also an imbalance. I just challenge everybody to do that. Sincerely ask the Lord if you're having a hard time reading the Bible. If something's, I don't know, whatever it is that's either deterring you even or distracting you, ask the Lord and ask him sincerely. And like these two men on the road to Emmaus, the Lord will manifest himself to you and the Lord will open the scriptures to you. And that is one of our goals at Rooted and Edified, that one of the ways that you get rooted and edified is by getting into the word of God and by getting the word of God into you. Where remember, it's not that you master the word of God, it's that the word of God masters you. The scripture that I brought today that I'm thinking of is Hebrews 5.14, which is, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to, to distinguish good from evil. Where I think here, the solid food, as opposed to the milk that we start off with, the solid food is the Bible. Absolutely. Is the word. What would be one thing you would want everyone to take away from here if that was the thing that they were to remember? That you can't separate Jesus from Scripture. That anyone who says they want to know more about Jesus, that they love Jesus, they love the, the movie, The Passion of the Christ, right? <laughs> and they love the, the stories of Jesus. And they love Christmas, and I love Christmas too. But Jesus is the Word of God himself. John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he is the word of God. So as you get into the Bible, if you are a follower of Christ, and if you're not, and you definitely have something in your heart that's calling you to read the Bible, that's God himself calling you. And it's the Lord himself inviting you to get to know him better. And as you open up the Bible, you will know Jesus more. And it won't be just because of what you heard from the pulpit on Sunday, or what you heard on the radio, or what your friend told you. It because now you yourself have met the Lord. And that's the greatest experience about reading the Bible, that it's the living word of God. Believe me, people get into all these different books and series, and they'll finish the whole entire series, but have such a hard time reading the Bible. And in all fairness, I will state, I don't always find it very easy to read the Bible myself. There's sometimes that I'm full of so much activity of other things that I'm doing at work or what have you. And when I sit down initially, my mind is still there. It takes a minute for my mind to get back in. But boy, oh boy, when I do get back in, my spirit definitely tells me, and, and I begin to commune with the Lord and fellowship with him. It tells me, man, how was I missing out? And sometimes it's a day or two that I haven't read. And I'm like, man, Lord, I don't want there to even be one day to go by that I don't read the scripture. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. My what a pleasure. blessing. You will be back co-hosting and being our guest on the show. Thank you so much to those that are listening or those that are watching our podcast. We're so glad that you joined us today. Just as a reminder, we are on YouTube for our video podcast. We are on Facebook and Instagram. Go ahead and give us a like if you would. Subscribe so you don't miss anything or follow. We have some things on there that you will not find on our regular podcasting platforms, like little snippets of our show and upcoming things that are going on and encouragement and things that our guests will be presenting.
Would you close us out in prayer? Absolutely. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for your love, your mercy. We thank you for manifesting yourself, Lord, in such a beautiful way in your word. And we thank you, Lord, for bringing us Gentiles into your people, into your family, into your kingdom, Lord, that we are all now also children of Abraham. And we are no longer, Lord, um, foreigners. We are no longer, um, Lord, destitute. We are no longer alone. Now we, the Gentiles, also have you as our Messiah. We thank you, Lord, because um, we've inherited such a wonderful kingdom, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We thank you because now we also are people of the book. We love your law. We love your word. And Lord, I pray that everyone out there, um, especially believers who, who are having a hard time reading your word, Lord, that you would change their heart, that you would change their mind, that you would change their will so that they would dedicate more time to your word, that they would encounter you in your word as, as I've encountered you, or better stated, Lord, as you've encountered me. It's so beautiful, Lord, how you manifest yourself to us in your word. I pray that your word um, would not return void to you, but that your word would return to you with fruit multiplied a hundredfold, Lord, that you would work in the hearts of all those who, who hear us and who see this um, video. I pray that just the way you transformed my life and just the way you've transformed millions of lives with your word, that you would transform them as well, Lord. And if they can change their circumstance, they can change the view or the perspective of that circumstance. And, in, and then we can say that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Lord. And we pray that you would open the scriptures to all of us. Amen. Amen. We will see you all off. Ciao.